Coming up on Stu Does America, I'm very sorry to announce that the experiment in the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, or CHAZ, has come to an end. And I was so sure their little society would prove successful and self-sustaining. Oh well, you know, who had July 2nd in the betting pool? Anybody? President of the Foundation of Research on Equal Opportunity, Ovik Roy, talks to me about the future of a COVID-riddled America and how to keep the economy open. And Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend slash teenager setter-upper, Ghislaine Maxwell, has been arrested. Watch her at all times. Let's get ahead of this. Ghislaine Maxwell did not kill herself. Got it? Remember, you can watch every episode for free. Just go to YouTube and search for Stu. I'll be the first one there. Please subscribe to our channel, comment, and click like on each and every video. Please click like right now. Like right now. Like now, if you would. And I want to thank you very much. We had our single biggest podcast day this week. Another new record. Thank you very much. Our podcast numbers are continuing to grow, no doubt because of all of the, it's great, whatever, freaking reviews that are five stars, by the way, five freaking stars on iTunes. Leave one there and you'll probably feature it at the end of the show. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. Be clever and we'll probably do it. And tonight on YouTube and Blaze TV, it's Glenn's newest event, Restoring Hope. Watch with Blaze TV, blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew. And that's how they know you like this stupid show. It's why it's important to us. And it's important to you because you'll save 10 bucks. Tonight is our last episode before we take a little freedom break for July 4th and the weekend. Be safe, have fun, and remember to social distance. Stay at least six feet away from each other while firing Roman candles at each other's faces. Stu does America. Ah, the fall of jazz. All the promise, all the hope, all the fragrance. Chaz is now no more. I mourn thee, O autonomous zone. If you haven't obsessed over each little thing happening in Chaz, like you were watching the Cuban Missile Crisis unfold, let me give you a little summary of what happened. Our own Jessica Fletcher posted that on Twitter yesterday, and while it wasn't technically from Chaz, I really, really want it to be. This one really was from Chaz as officers re-enter the autonomous zone. What was autonomous is now not autonomous. Okay, don't tell me this, please. That is not looking autonomous at all. Oh, it's so sad. You know, in the end, there was very little resistance as the residents of Chaz showed as much dedication to their homeland as they do to employment. As the New York Times notes, the Seattle protest zone included tents, a decolonization conversation cafe. I I kid you not. And even a medic station over six blocks. It's only six blocks. Why do you need a medic station? I don't understand. Establishing what protesters called a no-cop zone after the police agreed to board up their precinct station and withdraw outside the barricades. Part street fair, part commune, the so-called CHOP, or CHAZ, became an experiment in maintaining order with no police in sight. How did that experiment work out? Not so great. Here's the police chief who was forced by Seattle's terrible mayor to abandon their precinct, an act that wound up being the Chazian Declaration of Independence. Quote, our job is to support peaceful demonstrators. What has happened here on the streets over the past two weeks, a few weeks, that is, 
is lawless and it's brutal. And bottom line, it's simply unacceptable. Lawless and brutal. Who would have seen that coming other than people with eyes and brains? As silly as some of this has felt watching it from afar, it has really had some serious consequences. People have paid for this nonsense with their lives. Here's Horace Anderson Sr., the father of 19-year-old Horace Anderson Jr., who was killed inside of Chaz. Man, these are, these are kids, man. They should have been stopped this a long time ago. It's starting to get, excuse me, but it's getting to a point. You know where, you know it's getting. Gotcha. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm just really. I'm so sorry, Mr. Anderson. I, I, you know, I can only say this as a dad. I, you want to break Sean Hannity? I, you know, I'm a pretty tough guy. That will break me. What you Somebody did ask for this, and they need to come talk to me, and somebody need to come tell me something, because I still don't know nothing, and somebody need to come to my house and knock on my door and tell me something. But, you know, I don't know nothing. All I know is my son, was, he got killed up there, and he's just a, it's just, just a 19-year-old. No, that's Horace Lorenzo Anderson. That's my son. It's unbelievable. A few days after that, a 16-year-old was killed and a 14-year-old was seriously injured in a separate incident. As the police chief attempted to tell people what was going on, this is what occurred. Quote, Chief Best says surviving gunshot victim from this morning in CHOP was a 14-year-old black youth. He's fighting for his life. As Chief Best speaks about how dangerous the situation in CHOP has become, protesters are interrupting her and yelling black lives matter yeah your black police chief is currently trying to tell you about a black life that is i don't know at risk of ending at 14 years old because of your stupid protest i think the chief understands that black lives matter but the organization blm doesn't seem to care at all since all of this supposedly began to honor george floyd and protest his death About two dozen people have died because of the protests. Two dozen have died to protest one person who died. This makes absolutely no sense. We don't need a new country. We don't need a new Chaz. We already have a great country. America is the greatest country on earth. Until recently, that sentiment was essentially a jingoistic platitude. Maybe it was accurate. But it was so commonly repeated that it become meaningless. But is it still true? Was it ever true? Uh, here's America's uh, cultural arbiter, Colin Kaepernick, about President Trump. He always says, make America great again. Well, America's never been great for people of color. And, you know, that's something that needs to be addressed. Let's make America great for the first time. Mm. Kaepernick, who experienced a very nuanced type of oppression, in which he signed a seven-year, $126 million contract to finish 38th of 39 qualifying quarterbacks in offensive rating, according to Pro Football Focus, highlighted a common complaint about our nation's history. Certainly, our timeline is filled with many missteps, some of them disastrous violations of our own stated principles. It seems obvious to us now that a country who believed all men were created equal should not enslave an entire race. And while sensible arguments of context are valid and important for our understanding, the fundamental cruelty of slavery should have been obvious to everyone. 
Of course, many of the founders did realize this and fought passionately against it, including the much maligned Thomas Jefferson. In his original draft of the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson criticized the king and slavery, accusing him of waging, quote, cruel war against human nature itself by carrying, quote, distant people who never offended him into, quote, slavery in another hemisphere where he was, quote, determined to keep open a market where men should be bought and sold. The destruction of the existing institution of slavery was quite literally one of the original arguments for our country to exist. Later, there are abolitionist heroes like Matthias Baldwin. Born soon after the Constitution was ratified, he took an apprenticeship at the age of 16. He worked hard, innovated and invented, and constructed an impressive resume. He built machines and locomotives. He was an outspoken opponent of slavery a fact that was used against him by his competitors in business. But he didn't care. He co-founded the Franklin Institute, named after Ben Franklin, also an abolitionist. He took the money he made in business and opened up a school to educate African Americans in Philadelphia and paid the teachers out of his own pocket. His statue, erected in the same city he built the school, was recently defaced by protesters who spray-painted the words colonizer and murderer on its base. One of the reasons America is great is because our foundation was essentially an all-star team. It's made up of all the most ambitious people from around the world. These are men and women who had the guts to leave everything they ever knew, get on a boat that might just sail off the edge of the earth, and try to get up, set up a life in a giant empty field. They wanted a shot at freedom so badly they risked everything on a bet that never should have paid off. And when things weren't going the right way, they declared independence and went to war over it. Of course, while the talent level of an all-star squad is high, it's not always easy for all of those big personalities to form a cohesive team. We don't always play nicely together. There are some selfish players. Sometimes there are fights at practice. We've seen a lot of this lately. But no one is arguing that America is a perfect country, just that it's better than everyone else. We have had intense struggles, but where else would you want to be? We still have our problems, some of them honestly growing right in front of our faces and others shrinking without our notice, which is just as important. But yes, this is America, the greatest country on earth. On this Independence Day weekend, maybe we should take a minute to realize that. Okay, you're going into the weekend. I understand it. it's going to be a big weekend. Probably some uh, grilling out going on. Maybe ordering some delicious foods. Maybe, I know this is risky, you might even have a couple people over to your house. That could be illegal wherever you are, so I'm not asking you to break the law. But it could mean that maybe you're going to be eating a little bit too much this weekend. That isn't, you know, that used to be one of those things that would get you off track. You'd spend weeks and weeks, you maybe put on some weight, then you try to lose it again, and you go through that cycle. You don't need to do that with uh, intermittent fasting. It's one of these things where you can get this under control fast. You have a bad weekend, come back on Monday, you go with Fast Blast, and you're going to get this under control right away. Uh, that's what I really love about Fast Blast. It gives you a, an easy way to turn, the, turn, the, turn the, the boat around and start going the other way. Fast Blast makes a great smoothie that is uniquely formulated for intermittent fasting. If you've never tried intermittent fasting, don't worry. Don't be intimidated by it. You should really understand it. Make sure you go to fastblast.com blaze and make sure you know, they can walk you through the entire process. But I will tell you, the smoothies make it a lot easier. Uh, I will say that. Fastblast.com blaze. You can get started today. Make sure you use the slash blaze part of the address. Why? 
because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Uh, and you will able, be able to get all the details you need to get started with intermittent fasting. It might be a little bit different for you, but it's something I think you probably would really like. Make sure you do your own homework and check it out. Fastblast.com slash blaze. Get started today with Fastblast for a healthier and smaller you. One of the most frustrating parts of the COVID-19 pandemic is the constant uncertainty. Even the experts seem to be overwhelmed and unsure of the future. Most Americans really want to do the right thing, but the rules and the expectations just keep changing and changing and changing. Reporting errors and aggressive ideology have hampered our efforts. Uh, honest journalists have struggled to find stable sources of data. It's been kind of a, kind of a mess. Uh, Ovik Roy is the president of the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity, and he joins us now. Ovik, thanks for joining us on the program. Yes, too. Uh, let's go back up to April 20th. It's the last time you were on this stupid little show, and I appreciate you doing that. Uh, we talked about your plan for uh, uh, opening up the economy. Since then, we've in various different ways tried to open up the economy. How much have you, of your plan has been implemented, tried, ignored? Well, obviously, it varies very much by state, but there have been a number of states that have done what we talked about. So uh, states that have focused on, for example, reopening schools here in Texas, where I'm talking to you from, preschools are open again and schools will be open in the fall for children. So that's uh, that's on the good side. And businesses are also reopened in places like Texas and Florida. Uh, I'd say that uh, in in New York, in California, while they've tried to reopen a little bit in California, it's been a little more challenging on that front. One of the more difficult things to do and deal with is trying to come up with a plan and implement it successfully when really having very limited visibility into what's actually happening. Some of the data reporting is so bad. You highlighted Florida, which is the opposite. It's very, very good. They're giving full data, all the age groups. I mean, I went through a, a couple of the reports today. They're 1,300 pages long, and they release them every single day. And they actually highlight each individual person and case. It's really amazing the, de the, the degree they've gone to. That is something I think would be a real, uh, a, a really valuable focus for us to look to try to get other states to try to emulate Florida. Is that a, is that a type of push that you think could be successful? Well, Stu, I'm really glad you highlighted that last point about how literally if you go on the, the Florida website, every single case line by line from the beginning of the pandemic to today is published every single day. That's a level of detail that no other state is disclosing. And by the way, it's not just from a standpoint of transparency and the, and the usual things we talk about when it comes to government disclosure. The reason why that data is important is it, it helps the governor of Florida and the health authorities of Florida dig into that data and say, okay, we see that uh, in this new uh, wave of the pandemic or this new rise in cases, it's mostly among young people. Mm -hmm. And young people have a much lower risk of being hospitalized with COVID-19 and dying from COVID-19. And that leads us to have a certain type of response. Whereas in Texas, by contrast, they don't have as much of that data. And so they're flying blind. It's like flying an airplane in the dark without radar. That's basically what a lot of states are doing. 
Yeah, it's it's so it's incredible that the United States of America has an issue like this. I mean, every Sunday, I, I, without fail, someone emails me or messages me and says, "Oh, look how low the death toll is. They're they're coming down, you know, really low." And it's like, no, we don't report our deaths on the weekends. I mean, what a what an, a ridiculous yeah. excuse this is. This is 2020. Um, I, you know, if we're gonna spend trillions of dollars on stimulus, this seems like a really good target to try to get much better data collection. Well, I'll give you an example. You know, we, we've talked, I believe, uh, uh, on your show before. Not, I've certainly written about a lot in the intervening weeks about the crisis in nursing homes. Mm-hmm. About half the deaths that are occurring in the United States are occurring in nursing homes or assisted living facilities for vulnerable seniors, and that represents 0.6 percent of the U.S. population. Now, that's astounding as it is. Yeah. But what's even more remarkable is when we first started doing this research, 13 states didn't even report the data. 13 states didn't even collect data on whether people were dying in nursing homes or in uh, more traditional facilities or, or residences. So now that's starting to happen because the federal government is requiring that nursing homes report directly to the feds, but states weren't reporting that data and they weren't even collecting it. Um, I, I can't let the nursing home thing go by without talking about Andrew Cuomo. We considered changing the name of the show to Andrew Cuomo is awful. Um, so far, had the networks not buying it. Um, but his... The situation with him, you know, forcing um, COVID-19 positive patients into nursing homes. I believe there's five states that did it. But New York has gone further than that in that they've actually, to my reading of it, are basically trying to hide how many deaths occurred in nursing homes by saying that people that were in nursing homes that went to the hospital and died there don't count as nursing home deaths, unlike pretty much anyone else in the country. Is that actually true? And is it still true? Well, it's definitely true that Andrew Cuomo and the New York Health Authorities are gaming the numbers and they're reporting to hide how much their policies have damaged people who live in nursing homes. That's absolutely true. Mm. We don't, I mean, we at least at freeup.org have not gone through every single state's reporting to figure out if other states are doing this. But as far as we can tell, we have not found a state that's doing this yet. But you know, while we're on the topic of New York and New York government, We can't uh, let Bill de Blasio off the hook. Bill de Blasio waited until May 6th to do an overnight cleaning of the New York City subways. May 6th. And New York City, as we all know, has been the epicenter of the outbreak. Yeah, uh, absolutely amazing. And he was encouraging people to go to Chinatown in mid in mid uh, mid March, at least. Um, Let me go to um, another part of this I I find pretty interesting. The the government the government debate about whether the government should shut down the economy or whether they should open up the economy has been, I feel like, the focus of, of everyone's attention when it's a, it seems to me a lot less meaningful than uh, the attention it's, it's, it's actually attracted. In that mobility data shows us that people, when they feared for their lives, when the, this was at its peak, they went home and stayed home before the government really implemented these uh, restrictions. And the opposite seemed to happen as well. Before they were lifted, people started to uh, inch out of their houses. This is, I think, a, a crucial part in that if you can give the people good data that's reliable, that you're not changing every two weeks, and allow them to make risk-based decisions on their own, you're going to have a lot more success than just trying to come up with these blanket uh, top-down bands of behavior. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, you know, Stu, what I'd say is uh, politicians and public health leaders of all stripes have failed us in this crisis. On the one hand, you have people who are saying this is all a hoax and no one should care about COVID. And Mm -hmm. then on the other hand, you had 
people who were intentionally alarmist because they thought that if they told the truth, people wouldn't stay in their homes and, and cower in fear. And if we had just had an adult conversation from the beginning where we were honest with people about the risks uh, and, and who was at risk in particular, we could have done more, I think, to encourage personal responsibility. That's what we've seen in Asia. Asian countries, by, the, by, by, by and large, haven't had to have the lockdowns that we've had, but they have had a lot of people wearing masks and washing their hands and keeping a distance from each other. And that's worked pretty well, even without those restric restrictive economic mandates. Um, and that's very true. It seems like they've had the most success with that. Um, let's look at where we are now. Uh, we had the obviously initial uh, terrible time, mostly in the Northeast. Uh, then we had the, the, it looked like we had it under control for a little bit. The word now is that it's spinning out of control again. You're correct that the ages seem to be a little bit younger with this particular batch. It might be that, you know, older people are more scared of this, which they probably should be, and are staying inside. Um, what, how, how, what level of fear are you at on this? Is this a real another big situation that we're going to be dealing with that's similar to New York? Or is this something we shouldn't be all that worried about? Well, I'd say it's somewhere in between. I don't think we have to be worried that the New York situation is going to uh, to replicate itself elsewhere, simply because New York, within the context of the United States, is unique as a place where uh, people really have to take the subway to get around town. There's incredible density. There's multi-generational households. That's not as true really anywhere in the country as much as it is in New York, maybe Chicago. Uh, so, you know, for example, where I live in Austin, it's, you know, it's not as big as New York, but uh, and there are cases that are going up because people are going to bars. But, you know, most people drive to work. Uh, they have ho homes that are relatively large and, and not multi-generational. So I just don't see, because of that density issue, I just don't see uh, uh, history repeating itself in, in the rest of the country. And also because we know a lot more, right? People mm -hmm. are trying to wear masks. People are trying to be responsible. I mean, we, we see these stories of the yahoos going around throwing parties. But that's the exception, not the rule. And it's a problem. And that's why Texas has closed its bars. And I think that's going to be the biggest takeaway from this this recent uptick is is reopening bars, I think, in retrospect was a mistake, but you can keep most of the economy open. You can keep schools open while still closing bars and, and mass gatherings and things like that. Yeah, and I, 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 it really is, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing to watch them try to deal with this in real time and realize that back in March, there was no visibility. They had no idea where these cases were, no tests. I hope that visibility improves things. Uh, we got about 30 seconds left, Ovik. Can you give me a couple words on the jobs report today? Uh, it was a, it, a, we're bouncing back. Are we bouncing? Is this a V-shaped recovery? What are we looking at here? Well, it's not going to be completely V-shaped, right? Because you know, I think hotels, airlines, things like that are, are going to are going to take a little bit more time to, to recover, and and those are big uh, employers in the economy. But yeah, I think it's very encouraging that we're we're seeing the jobs report that we are. And by the way, if we look at the experience of the original SARS coronavirus in 2003 in Asia, that's what we did see. We did see a V-like recovery uh, as uh, restrictions lifted and the virus burned itself out. So let's hope. All right. Ovik Roy, president of the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity. Thanks so much for coming on the program. We'll be back in a second. Hey, great news, everybody. Uh, we had 4.8 million new jobs created. Um, and the unemployment dropped to 11.1%. Isn't that great news? Uh, look, it's good news that we're having some recovery. It's bouncing back quicker. Uh, these, are, these numbers beat expectations by a decent amount. There's still some weird data thing that the government is doing in which they are saying 
By the way, we miscalculated some of this, and it's actually 12.1%, not 11.1%. I don't know why they keep telling us that instead of just making it 12.1%. Either way, it sucks. Uh, So we're still bouncing back from the coronavirus thing. Hopefully that continues to go on. Uh, Another good piece of news, I think, today is Ghislaine Maxwell is is actually uh, in custody, has been arrested. Uh, She, of course, is the former girlfriend, former hookup uh, queen, former teenager picker-upper for Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, And uh, also seemingly at least a sexual uh, um, assault. uh, 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 She's accused of sexual assault by several people. She's accused of setting up uh, sexual assaults for Epstein. Does not seem to be a very good person. It's going to be interesting to see her... Uh, her attempt to get out of this. And again, protect her. I want cameras on all the time. I want her to be in a, uh, a jail cell that is made of plexiglass. I want every, I want, I want to hire, we, we have a lot of people out of work, hire a bunch of people to stand around and watch at all times to make sure she doesn't kill herself. Because she, I, if she does it, I'm not believing it. I'm telling you right now, I'm not believing it. Uh, that's in the news. Mad Men is in the news. You know the series. Was on Netflix for a long time, just recently uh, left Netflix. Uh, here's the thing. Very racist, very sexist show. Uh, not, not okay. Uh, we need to cancel it immediately. In fact, people were talking about canceling it. And Mad Men has an episode with blackface in it. What do you do? Well, they did something, and this is going to be hard to understand, something that an adult might do. They actually put a statement up at the beginning. Listen to this. I think this is good. This episode contains disturbing images related to race in America. One of the characters is shown in blackface as part of an episode that shows how commonplace racism was in America in 1963. It's reliance on historical authenticity. The series producers are committed to exposing the injustices and inequities within our society that continue to this day so we can examine even the most painful parts of our history in order to reflect on who we are today and who we want to become. We are therefore presenting the original episode in its entirety. It's a show designed for adults that is treating its audience like adults. It's nice to see. Back in a second. Trying to sell your home is challenging, so you need a real estate agent that is going to come in and take charge of the situation. Realestateagentsitrust.com is a company that Glenn started, so you can rest assured that uh, you're in business with the best. With Real Estate Agents I Trust, you'll be in the hands of the most capable, experienced people who will see your selling process through to the very end. If you're looking to purchase a home, uh, be sure to partner yourself with a competitive uh, winning machine that is realestateagentsitrust.com. That's kind of what it's like. You walk up to the machine, say, I would like a good real estate agent, press the buttons, and then they spit out the real estate agent, comes right out of your computer into your living room. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. realestateagentsitrust.com. It's your biggest financial transaction you're ever going to do in your entire life. You better have somebody who actually understands this stuff and is good at it. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. America is complicated, endlessly complicated. And our daily lives are so intense that we often don't notice how incredible and complicated it is. If you've traveled outside America, you know that being in a foreign country can be intimidating and exciting and more than a little bit overwhelming at times. So what's it like to experience that in America? Most immigrants say that living in America is incredible and seeing it for the first time is unlike anything they've ever experienced. Speaker and filmmaker Yaku Buyans is here to offer his unique story of coming to America. You might recognize him as well from the News and Why It Matters. I do shows with Yaku all the time. Thanks so much for doing this, man. I appreciate Thank you, it. Stu, love your show and it's an honor to be on. Yeah, well, 
Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you have a pretty amazing story. Uh, you are from South Africa. Yeah. Um, take us from the beginning uh, of your story and your life as a child, because there's some really terrible things that happened there. And it part of that was the reason you wanted to come here. Yeah, that's right. I was born and raised in South Africa, first 27 years of my life, raised by a single mother, two siblings. I'm the oldest, so that's the dynamic. Mom's a school teacher, yeah. history teacher. And so that, that sets the setting, right? So it's not super affluent. That's where we are, but an amazing upbringing. But a mom that was an activist for equality throughout our lives. And, and we raised Christian. We raised the Word of God. We raised that all men are equal. Mm-hmm. And then you live in an, a nation that's riddled with apartheid, massive controversy. My senior year in high school, Nelson Mandela comes out of prison. Wow. My mom at one point is arrested for locking her classroom and saying, if, if all races cannot be represented in our school, I don't teach. And so this is where we are it's incredible. as a community. And our home got invaded because we stood for race equality. So th- that's the, the, the lens that I grew up through. This now. is the middle of history. I mean, you were right in the middle of it. In it, living yeah. through it. You know, uh, military service was mandate. It's still mandatory. Mm-hmm. I was the last senior in high school that year. It was mandatory because President Mandela, mm-hmm. you know, canceled that. So it was a very tumultuous. We were on the knife's edge of civil war. Right. And I mean, it was it was right there. The whole world's looking at us. You know, the U.S. administration sanctioned us. We couldn't participate in world sport or anything for that matter. So it was it was a melting a cooking pot, really. And, and so that's the growing up. But growing up, I said when I was seven years old, I put an American flag on my wall. Seven. Wow. I said, I'm going to that country. I just had it. I just knew that my dreams was in the United States. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I was 27 that we got to immigrate after a pretty horrific season with my family. My sister Ilanka went through a, a really bad uh, season and we knew the U.S. was the place to go. But doing it right, Stu, mm-hmm. immigrating legally, right, right, legally, teaches you a lot about this nation. Yeah. It makes you appreciate it. Yeah, I, I want to go into that, but let me, let me bring you back to, you're yeah. still in South Africa. Yeah. You're in the middle of, as I was saying, one of the, a legendary part of history in, in a part of the world that everyone knows this is uh, racial strife at its absolute extreme. Yes. Uh, you went through all of this. Yes. You're seeing, of course, now what's what's happening here. It's it's not to that level, thankfully. Do you see shades of that, though, already starting to kind of peak up a little bit here? It's so strange. South Africa is such a young country, prospectively, right? When you look at Europe and the USA. But yeah. we are leading the U.S. in the political cycle. Yeah. I've lived this, too. I saw, literally saw, the riots the burning of cities, racial, I'm talking about race war, knife's edge, I told you, civil war, physical race war in South Africa with the world watching. Then I saw President Mandela taking over. Then came the attacks. All our statues got turned, uh, got torn down. Our history, I told my mom was a history teacher. Our history got wiped from the history books, changed our national anthem, changed our national flag. This is what I want America to know. If you buy into this notion, this, for the most part, fabricated notion, because I know what it feels like when it's real. I lived through it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay? I know what curfew looks like right. on the streets. Mm-hmm. I know it when a brick comes through your wall and there's racial slurs to our house. I know what that feels like. Lived it, right? We're not there as America. Mm-hmm. Okay? A lot of what we're seeing is, is artificially induced. But if you go down that rabbit hole, what comes next is you lose your history. You lose your statues. You lose your history. They came and, you know, reshaped our flag, uh, you know, our heritage, 
our national anthem. It's a very bad picture. And now you go look at South Africa today and it's dismal. It's a dismal picture. It didn't solve it. It never does. You know, when you swing the pendulum all the way in the other direction, thinking that you're going to make up for, right, right, never works. You need balance in a society. What's the answer there? Because, I mean, how do you, it was a very tumultuous um, number of decades. How do, you, how do you bridge that gap between two sides that just do not want to hear it? You're going 26 years now of, of literally complete black power in South Africa, and, mm. yet the, and yet the problems are still there. And they're, you know, elevated because China's come in and elevated them. So it really is about people coming to the table together, Stu, and they didn't. They did not. It was a handover of power and it was swinging the pendulum. There was never, there was never a unified body. They called it the Rainbow Nation, but it was never represented right, that right, way, right? right? Mm-hmm. Get around a table with all stakeholders. Everybody be self-accountable. Everybody say, what's my responsibility in this? Even at a local level and a federal level and say, hey, how do we go forward as one? That didn't happen in South Africa, which is why I can say bur- burning down the statues, changing the flag, sure. change, did nothing. Yeah. It didn't I, solve anything. I have this um, crazy theory that I've been working on, which is you shouldn't make uh, decisions based on skin color. I feel like it's a crazy one. It's, it's I, so crazy. I right? know. I, don't, I feel like ba- white power, bad idea. Black power, bad idea. Bad idea. You shouldn't make decisions on that. I thought that was the goal. You know, I think we all kind of worked uh, at that. And when we, I know my parents raised me that way. Don't yeah. care about it. It's nothing to do with it. Live your life. Judge people by the content of the character. That seems to be dead right now in this country. Particularly this country. This is the last man standing. This is the last nation on earth, honestly, that can be a bright light on the hill mm-hmm. to be a beacon to say. And, and this is why also I think it's so under attack. But unless all men are created equal, which is so funny it's that it's in our founding documents. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just so interesting. Right? It's there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And it's all men. You know? And so uh, if we don't go back there, you swing the pendulum and you could hand it over like in South Africa, what happened? And now it's, it's, it's a catastrophe because it just doesn't work. When you look at skin color, and I'm not talking about not recognizing uh, customs, and honoring customs and, and, and appreciating one another's differences. I'm literally just talking about looking at skin color, like you said, and making a decision either way, right? Mm-hmm. It's always the wrong decision, Stu. It's, it never pans yep. out good for everybody. But I had to write an exam to become an American citizen. Yeah, I want to get into this because this is, it, it's, it's hard for Americans, I think, at times to appreciate what we have. Yeah. And I you know I started the show because we complain about stuff all the time. I basically complain all the time on the show. Um, but I started the show with, look, America is the greatest nation on earth, I believe. Yeah. Um, and it, there are other great ones, but I believe we're the greatest. I believe we've been a shining light on the hill for a very long time. It's hard for us to see that being born here. Did you see that? I mean, you put a flag on your wall. You must have seen some of that in South Africa. Of course, because I could recognize freedom mm-hmm. in the United States that we didn't have. Like hopes. I wanted to go to the Olympics. Couldn't. Mm-hmm. Our country was sanctioned. Right. I looked at Americans traveling the world. We couldn't. You couldn't get a visa to go anywhere. Little things like that. So, uh, As a young kid, I knew America had freedom. Mm-hmm. You don't trade freedom for safety, by the way. No. America had freedom and people want freedom. I can tell you. Most people around the world love the United States, but hope deferred makes the heart sick. It turns into envy. They Mm -hmm. want what we have in America. They want freedom. The Chinese wants it. The Russians, the South Africans, the Israelis, they want it. But if you can't get it, then you you become bitter to it. Does that make sense? Yes. I knew it as a young kid. When I got here, 
and I actually tasted it, kiss the ground. I bleed red, white, and blue. I'll tell you that. I love this nation because I know what the, what the other end of the spectrum feels like sure. and what it looks like. So tell me about the process coming here legally, as you point out, yeah. thankfully. Um, that is, it's not an easy process. No. I, it's my belief it should be a lot easier. Um, uh, but it still should be, it should still be a process. It still should be something where you, you need to learn about the history and, and appreciate the nation. It, did, was that, did that come through the process at all? Or was that just something natural for you? No, it's not. It's never natural to leave your whole life. Yeah. Your whole, I, look, I had my first career was in South Africa. I was 27 years old. You leave everything. I came with two suitcases, 50 pounds. Think about that for a second. You leave everything. South Africa didn't allow you to take your money out of the country because people were leaving. So right. you come here with nothing. You know nobody, right? It's difficult. I'll say this. The irony is it's become a lot easier, and it should be even more easier. But when I immigrated, it was three weeks after 9-11. <laughs> that must not have been easy. Come on. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a terrible timing. You realize that, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. right? But do you understand what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, oh, yeah. Think about and And so it's become easier to immigrate, and it needs to be easier. However, we walked in here into this country at a very very tumultuous time. I mean, everything yeah. was shut down. We were allowed in, I'd say, by God's design. But we walked through the process, and it's a process. Yes, it's a process, but it should be. Because in the process, I learned a lot about this country. I had to learn, you know, how government is set up, what the history, I had to study the history. of. I had to take a test, which I think, Stu, honestly, a lot of Americans will fail. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. 100%. Mm -hmm. The history of America, oh, yeah. why we are here, how government is set up, mm -hmm. why there's liberty and justice for all in this nation, etc. And so you, you and then that ceremony, the, one of the proudest moments of my life, mm. standing in a ceremony, having a judge swear me in, me, me renouncing all other you know, allegiances to all, me saying I will bear arms for this nation. Mm. I will come and be an American you know, and being sworn in as a citizen is it's epic. You can't overstated. That's great. I love hearing that. And I hear it mainly from people who have immigrated here legally, um, who appreciate the country that way. Let me let me ask you one more thing, because you've been very you know, uh, good. And I've heard you on News and Why before talking about making sure immigration is legal. And, and you've been very clear about that. There is, I think, a strain of conservative. I don't want to say it's conservatism, really. It's maybe sort of this nationalist strain a little bit that's popped up that has it, it argues on the right to restrict illegal immigration, but also legal immigration. And I feel like that's a big mistake. You know, it's not to say that you have un everybody comes in that wants to come in. I understand there's a difference there. There has to be restrictions. The process, I think, is is important. But I think bringing in people like you who really appreciate it and, and, and want it so bad, want freedom, want this country to, su to succeed so badly is, is great fuel for our nation. You don't have a nation without it, Stu. Yeah. These are people I want to contribute I came here with ideas and dreams. You know, I started business. I want to contribute. But there has to be a system. Mm -hmm. But if there's a system and there are a fair system and you can check the boxes, then you should be allowed to immigrate. We need immigrants. We need intellectual capital, intellectual you know, ingenuity to come into this nation. I'd rather have it here than somewhere else. Sure. I'd rather have that IP registered as American IP yes. than Chinese <laughs> okay. IP. Yes, I'd sure. rather want that doctor right now that's brilliant in Kenya. Please come, come here and mm -hmm. we want to, of course, yep. yes. But it's got to be legal. But with you, the legal system has to allow immigration 
to to function. Yes. You can't curb it. No, you can't. Um, Jakob Buins, uh, he's a speaker, filmmaker, uh, News & Why It Matters uh, panelist as well. You can always watch News & Why It Matters, of course, on blazetv.com. Go to blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. Jakob, so great to have you. And this is such a great story. I'm so glad you were able to tell it on a, on a weekend where it should be told. Yes. Thank you, Stu. Thanks. Appreciate you. Back in a second. We talked to Ovik Roy earlier. It's a great interview. We want to go back and, and listen to him talking about how to open up the economy. Uh, one thing he pointed out when we talked about a little bit was the Florida data. Let me just show you what this looks like. They release this every single day. Um, this is a breakout of just the ages of the uh, of the people who have had cases, who have been hospitalized and who have died. And I'm not kidding. They literally go through every single one. You see, there's one hundred and eleven thousand seven hundred and twenty four cases. There is one individual line for each one of those. They don't give the names, but they give the sex and the age and when it happened and all of this other stuff. Florida is doing a really good job with that. And it's going to be a lot easier for them to be able to handle this uh, uh, problem if they know where everything is coming from. Um, they have their own, uh, of course, set of issues um, that are a little bit different. Like this story, a Florida woman has filed a lawsuit seeking either a paternity test or her uh, on her goats or a refund. Paternity test on her goats or a refund and has how every story has written this up. She's not kidding. 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 <laughs> Get it? Because of the goats. Uh, she says uh, she wants her five goats to believe uh, to to uh, be registered um, with the uh, American Dairy Goat Association, a group that records goat pedigrees. Um, you don't have a job, but there's a group that records goat pedigrees and a lot of people are working there. How does that make you feel? Pretty good, huh? How the heck does American goat pedigree uh, shop, how does that get through? That survives COVID? All these really good restaurants are going out of business and the goat people are still in business? How does that even work? It's just a frustrating world. Uh, she's trying to figure out, she's worried that they're not Nigerian enough or something. Sounds racist to me. I'm not gonna, I don't want to go down that road, though. I mean, it's, it's July 4th weekend. Let's be positive. Let's get some reviews here. By the way, we really thank you when you take the time to go to iTunes Click five freaking stars, put it's great whatever or whatever you want to write in the little in the little box. We really appreciate that. Uh, again, we had our highest podcast day of the entire show's history, which is very short, but we're still excited about it. Uh, here is this review. It's good. Whatever. I enjoy the show. I guess five stars, five freaking stars, though. And that's fantastic. Next up. Good enough. And good enough for five freaking stars, five freaking stars. Thank you so much. And uh, stats. I love the stats, Stu. Hard to argue with the facts, but somehow the world does. No one argues with this stat, however. Five freaking stars. Please continue to do that. And by the way, you can get every show for free on podcasts, wherever your podcasts are, or go to YouTube and search for the name Stu. That's S-T-U. That'll be the first show there. Subscribe to it. Rate, review, comment. Do all those things. Like the videos, too. Can you like this video real quick? Just like it real quick. We'll see you Monday.